0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for a special Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett.
1: So here's the, I think, the beautiful thing about this. If you're here today, God's called you here today. You're here because God's got his hand on your life. If you have seen your need for a saviour, it's not because one morning you woke up smarter than the day before. It's because the Holy Spirit's done something in your life.
0: Have you ever lacked the courage or the opportunity to ask those questions about life or theology that have niggled at you for years? If you found yourself reluctant to ask what might be considered a dumb question for fear of embarrassment, or maybe you just haven't known who to ask, then tonight is your night. Stay tuned and you may well find some of your own questions answered as Dr. Corbett undertakes a special Q&A.
2: Good morning. Best name in the church, Louise. Lucky there's only two of us.
1: <laughs> three. three. <laughs> oh, three. Four. Four?
2: It's a world takeover next, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Q&A with Dr A. I get the easy job. I just have to answer the questions. And I'm very curious to hear our answers. So we have top 20 questions here for Dr A this morning. Question number one. With respect to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, it says that once a person strays from the faith, it's impossible for them to come back as they're crucifying Christ all over again. Does this mean that if you've grown up loving God but then fall away in your teens or twenties, you'll never be able to come back to Christ and be forgiven?
1: Okay, thank you to whoever gave this question. I have no idea who submitted these questions. We've had more questions this year than any other year and so thank you and, and um, this, is a, this, is a, this sounds like um, a question that every parent would be concerned about if their child does wander away so I, I get this. Fa- I'm the father of four children I, I don't think there's been a day when I haven't prayed for my four children to continue to walk with Christ so I, I get this. So the the first thing we need to appreciate is that the writer, which is probably Barnabas actually, Paul's colleague, who's writing to his fellow Jews, the Hebrews, is that some of the Hebrews were being lured away from Christianity and to go back into Judaism because this is around about 62 or so AD and so much of what Jesus said was going to happen seemingly hadn't happened yet therefore people who were trying to persuade them back into Judaism said see your Christianity hasn't worked you, you should come back in and so Barnabas is making this point you can't be flippant with this but here's, here's the thing that I think we can draw out of this firstly there's, there is a difference between a relationship and, a, and fellowship with God. So for example, uh, a relationship with God is, is one where we, God does something in us and we become his child. And as with my four children, I only have one child left at home. My other three children have moved out and we don't have that constant fellowship. So we, we as a family, made it a practice and I encourage families to make it a practice as well. Have dinner at the dinner table. We have our dining room. No TV, nothing. It's just no no phones, nothing. It's just just the the, the dining table, and that was that was a, a key point of fellowship. When my children moved away, uh, we we couldn't do that, but so we're not having fellowship. But my relationship with them hasn't changed. We still have that relationship. Here it seems like. Barnabas, if it is Barnabas, who's, who's writing Hebrews, is saying, some of you have never formed that relationship with Christ and yet you've told people that this is what you've got. Yet if you're that prepared to fall away that quickly, it sounds like you, you've never really come to understand this. Let's not be flippant with this, seems to be what he's saying. I think it's, it's important for us to understand that Jesus said a couple of things about this issue. The first one was the, the prodigal son, you know the father had two sons. He had a relationship with two sons. I think that the that story tends to convey that it was about the young all about the younger son when in fact it's actually about the older son. The younger son went away and the father <laughs> did not disown him. They still had a relationship. And this is what I would encourage any parent who has a child who has seemingly walked away from Christ, seemingly walked away from Christ to hold on to. That if, the, if that child has entered into a relationship where they get it, they get that Christ is their saviour. They may not be in fellowship with Christ or his church, but I think as parents we can pray for our children to come back to that place because the seed, as we heard Pastor Phil Hill share the other week, is, is there. It's in them and that's the relationship. So I think those two things... Uh, should give every parent the encouragement to continue to pray and not abandon their ch- children and I think that was the point of, of that story too that Christ gave because it was a scandalous thing when he said the father continued to love his, his son who was wayward but at the end of that story we see that that wasn't the only love he had he, he had a love for his older son as well Question two
2: If I commit suicide as a believer, will I be forgiven?
1: Um, This is not a quick answer one. And it's also one that I I, I need to say a couple of things. Firstly, we as a church need to recognise that for some people life is tough. Life is really tough. And sometimes we're, we're ashamed to admit how tough we're finding life. And I want us as a church to be a safe zone for people to be able to say, I am not coping. I am really struggling here. And and right now, I think we just need to make a decision as a church, we're going to be that church. We need to understand that life itself requires God's grace. To be able to live life requires God's grace. And that grace, when times are tough, It says in 1 Peter 4.10 that God gives his grace through believers to believers. And this is frustrating because you would think, well, why can't I just get it directly from God? And I think there's something about being in community, being in church, and having the humility to accept help from a brother and a sister that helps us to get through really, really tough times. And one of the things that... uh, that, um, uh, Pastor Donna, who's going to be sharing next Sunday night, uh, she's away in Melbourne at the moment, but when she, next Sunday night, and she's actually going to be sharing on some, some things in our monthly training. That There are some things you need to say and there are some things you shouldn't ever say to someone who's in a tough place like this. So, so she'll talk more about this as well. Um, so that's, so that's I just think it requires God's grace. We need to be the safe place as a church. There is, there is something though... And about this and that that is that suicide like any form of murder actually is a sin but here's the thing that I, I, I need you to hear that first and but secondly I need you to hear this that suicide is not the or even an unforgivable sin it's not and 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 in uh, some branches of the church they teach that unless you've received Holy Communion, which has washed you of your sins and you've confessed your sins, if you haven't had that and you die without that having happened, you, you will take your sins with you into eternity and possibly be blocked from being forgiven by God or, or entering into heaven. That is not the gospel. Mm. That is not the gospel. You, you are not saved because you dealt with your sins. You are saved because Jesus dealt with your sins.
2: Will I see departed pets in heaven?
1: Would anyone else like to answer this?
2: <laughs> My dog's in heaven.
1: <laughs> um, here's, the, here's the first thing. The, the Bible's actually silent about the eternal destiny of pets. If you listen to, to uh, Hugh Ross, he, he actually talks about how God has made some animals to have to be, uh, and he takes the Hebrew word soul, they have a soul, they are soulish animals. And he says it's those animals that God has created to bond with humans. And uh, he, he, he's an amazing nature lover. And Hugh Ross is someone who, on, on the autism spectrum, it, it goes up to 50. 50 is kind of dysfunctional. And Hugh Ross is 47 on that spectrum. And yet, he found from a very, very early age he could connect with animals. And so I, I think there's, there's something about this for, for us to, to note, that God has ordained animals to be a part of our world, to be a part of our life, especially pets. And they have a unique ability to bond with humans. We see this in, in a couple of examples. We see um, uh, Balaam and his donkey. Remember the donkey who spoke to him? And uh, the donkey saw the angel that Balaam didn't. Mm. And we see that uh, Balaam began to beat his donkey because his donkey couldn't get past the angel. And then the donkey is given a voice. Um, and he says, have I, have I ever not been a good pet to you? Have I, have I ever let you down as, as your pet, as your donkey? And, and it's a rhetorical question, I'm guessing, uh, in other words, he, he'd been faithful to his master. Why do you think I'm not being faithful at this time? So it shows that just shows that, there's, that God has ordained for a bond for us to form with animals. I think having pets does something really, really special for humans. For those who are perhaps in the autumn of their life, having a, 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 a forgive me, uh, Tony's not here, so it's okay. I can say it. having a cat. <laughs> Can be, a, can be a real comfort to, to many people and, and the fact that cat and kitten videos are the most watched videos on YouTube tell me that, that last point that, that God often will, will allow animals, especially pets, to amuse humans. So I'm saying that to say that scripture is more concerned about the, the eternal destiny of those who are created in his image than about pets but I don't want to diminish the role that, that pets play in this.
2: When we accept Christ, we do that through the Holy Spirit working in us. Doesn't that mean that we have the whole of the Holy Spirit in us? If that's the case, why do we need a second process of being baptised in the Holy Spirit? Does this mean that we don't receive all of the Holy Spirit at salvation?
1: It's a great question. I get this too. And it, it, it sort of becomes a bit of an eye-opener when you do a study on, on what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's job is not one thing. It's not one thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit doesn't just save sinners. My job here is done. That's not what the Holy... That's not it. In fact, we, we read in uh, John chapter 20 and uh, verse 22, I think it is. Uh, oh, it says John 52. Forget that. I know why it's done that. That's an ch- John chapter uh, 20 verse 22 it says Jesus breathed on his disciples before he ascended and he said this receive the Holy Spirit so the the Bible has Jesus telling his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit presumably they did he's already told them when they came back and said oh even the demons you know trembled and we healed the sick and all this and Jesus remember what Jesus said to them don't rejoice about that Remember what he told them to rejoice about? Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Mm. Your names are written in heaven. So their salvation was a done deal, and salvation is only possible by the Holy Spirit, as the question states. But we need to understand that the Bible describes various relationships of the Holy Spirit to the believer. So we we see that when Jesus breathed on the Holy uh, breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples, said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." There's what we might call regeneration. So that, that's that's securing their salvation but then just before he ascended he said something else to them about the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 24 verse 49 and in Acts chapter uh, 1 verse 4 Jesus said now wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you and here's the point the, the, the Bible describes the Holy Spirit coming in the Holy Spirit filling the Holy Spirit coming upon And the Holy Spirit baptising people. And the picture of baptism, if we had a clear basin like a fish tank here, I would take a cup, a glass, I'd fill that glass with water and say, and put that in the middle of the empty fish tank and say, that's salvation when the Holy Spirit comes into you. But remember, Jesus said, there's more, wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This is the same Jesus that breathed on him, said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, but there's more, wait in Jerusalem until you get the more. So yes, there does seem to be a second experience. And we see that the disciples w- were waiting on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And this is the picture I would now give. Their salvation, that, gla- that clear glass of water, Holy Spirit in. And now we begin to put water in the tank. And when the Holy Spirit complete- completely immerses the believer, the word immerse is baptised. That's what baptism means. It means to immerse. And so that happened as a second experience with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And then we go to Acts chapter 4 and we see that after the disciples have preached and thousands have been saved, they they pray to God, fill us again. And it says in Acts chapter 4 that they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. So So a relationship with the Holy Spirit is not a static experience and it's not just one thing.
2: Psalm 18 verse 2, can you please explain what the horn of my salvation means?
1: Scripture uses poetic language and, and it uses language that its original audience would have comprehended, understood. And there's, this psalm actually is a beautiful psalm, Psalm 18, and it describes God in various ways. Describe, I think from memory describes God as a rock, a fortress and the horn of my salvation. Horn means it comes from the ox, right? The horn is from the ox and, and, and that horn became a symbol of strength. So whenever the prophets anointed a new king, they would put oil, anointing oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, into the horn and seal it with wax, break open the wax when they got to the king and then pour it on the king. And it was a picture of the horn being strength of the Holy Spirit coming on that person. So when it says the horn of my salvation, it's speaking that... Uh, of the, the one who is mighty to save, the one who has the strength to save me. That's, that's what it's referring to. So horn, symbolic language of strength and that, that God is the only one strong enough, able
2: to save. Jesus Christ seems to have spent a lot of time in the company of 12 men. Was he gay?
1: Um. Most men at the time spent time with other men. So that's not unusual. That's that's not unusual at all. Jesus was the perfect man and he interacted perfectly with women and other men. It's, It's a beautiful picture that we have of Jesus. None of these relationships were sexualized. So it's, it's interesting that we live in a generation that says uh, to to not be sexual is to be denied a human right or to be denied human flourishing. The the God we worshipped, the Jesus we worshipped, who walked the shores of Galilee, the streets of Jerusalem, and up that hill to Golgotha, never had sex. He was a celibate man. So he yet he was the f- the perfect. Perfect man, utterly fulfilled as a human being. So we need to be careful that the lie of the enemy that says you've got to have sex to be a fully functioning, flourishing human being is just not true because we have a saviour who was celibate. So, in answer to this question, no, he wasn't. He was someone who interacted with children with no accusation, with women with no accusation, with men with no accusation at all. He's a perfect man and I encourage us all to emulate him.
2: Here's a good one for grade 10 LCS students. Can or should the belief in creation be reconciled with the theory of evolution?
1: There are some who say it can be. There are some Christians who say that the theory of evolution, and I'm going to use a a very particular term, Darwinian evolution, because there are actually 12 types of evolution. uh, And some of them we would have no problem with. Uh, But when it comes to biological evolution or Darwinian evolution, the explanation for how life itself began, how all life came from a single living organism into the branches of all phyla or all life. Um, can that be reconciled with scripture? Well, some Christians say can. I am yet to hear how they can explain some of the things that make this impossible, I believe, biblically. There is a, a group called BioLogos, headed by the former director of the Human Genome Project, uh, uh, Mr. Dr. Francis Collins. And he believes, he calls himself... A now, uh, what is it? A uh, something like a, a, a an evolutionary creationist. It's it's some kind of combination of the terms, and I've heard him interviewed. I've been in <coughs> in a room, uh, in a in a conference call with him, where where the issue came up. Well, how does this explain? How do you explain sin? How do you explain that we? we we need a savior now here's why it's a problem for people who try to reconcile evolution as the origin of all life and what the bible says because evolution says that there was a, a sequence and progression of hominids that is people who who were bipedal they, they they could walk on feet and eventually those things morphed into human beings and and the question is well, what do you do with the story of Adam and Eve? And the evolutionist says it, it's basically that's myth. That's just mythology. But, but the problem is that the entire New Testament is anchored in that story that describes these two people falling into rebellion against God and falling into sin. And, and, and the, the evolutionist has no way to reconcile that story with their theory. So this is a huge problem, I think, a huge problem. Um, added to this, um, there's the science. The, there's actually the, the, the question is, how does Darwinian evolution explain how non-life became life? You know, the, there's uh, the, the number of proteins necessary uh, in order to form um, a viable, you know, strand of DNA is. I think they 've reduced it down to something like three three hundred and twenty genetic products, and to get the proteins assembled is, is, is I, I as I read a, a statistician who said it 's a one in ten to the power of seventy seven chance that 's a lot of zeros seventy seven zeros, a lot of zeros, a one in, the, in other words, the statisticians said it 's zero chance of it randomly assembling now I, I, th- this this book has just come out. <coughs> It's by Michael Beheath. The thing that is really interesting about this book, he's the, the, the Lehigh University Professor of um, Evolutionary Biology. <laughs> and he was simply asked a question, how, how does ev- Darwinian evolution explain how non-life became life? And he, his response was, and you see this on YouTube where, where he's interviewed, his response was, oh, that'll be easy. I'll be able to answer that student's question, no problem. He went away, did the research, read all the books, read the, the tomes, the really thick books, and he said no one addressed it. And he found that confusing. No one addressed No one's taught There must be someone who's figured it out. And after 10 to 12 years, he found no one's resolved this. And then he began to realise it wasn't the only problem with Darwinian evolution. And this is his latest book, Darwin devolves the new science about DNA that challenges evolution so this is a this is one of the world's leading biologists Mm. who's now saying just from a science point of view um, Darwinian evolution cannot be true it's not that it's mostly true or partly true or a little bit true he says it's just not true it just cannot be true from the biology so Uh, And then I encourage people to go to reasons.org where there's a bunch of the world's leading scientists who've unpacked this as well.
2: What is the biblical origin of the sinner's prayer?
1: Now by that I presume that the questioner means that uh, the preacher preaches and then at the end he says all eyes closed, all heads bowed, Um, if you want to go to heaven pray this prayer. Um, dear Lord Jesus, and everyone repeats, Dear Lord Jesus, and, and so on. I assume that's what's meant by that question. The, the answer to that is there is no biblical origin for that. The, the, the longer answer is that this was developed as a method in the late 1900s, early uh, 20th century. Uh, um, and so, uh, so in the 1800s, 19th century, and early early 20th century. And it became something that people just assumed was in the Bible and this is how it had to be done. Um, But really, when anyone calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10 verse 13, and they are asking God to forgive them of their sin and to save them and grant them eternal life beyond the grave to live with him forever and not be eternally condemned. Whatever that prayer is, that's a sinner's prayer. And that's why, Louis, that's why... I don't do the all eyes closed, all heads bowed, repeat after me prayer. I don't do that because it sounds like you're offering people a magic formula. And I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's what salvation is or what salvation should be reduced to.
2: What does the Bible say on the concept that we have no part to play in being saved, that it is all God? that God calls us and we cannot resist his calling
1: I notice there's a a sub question with that too Um, how do we reconcile free will with this so what does what does the Bible say about this well firstly um, it it says this in in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 it says we who were dead in trespasses and sins have now been made alive in Christ. And it goes on and says, and this is by the grace of God. So here's the, I think, the beautiful thing about this. If you're here today, God's called you here today. You're here because God's got his hand on your life. If you have seen your need for a saviour, it's not because one morning you woke up smarter than the day before. It's because the Holy Spirit's done something in your life. Mm. And Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when I send the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world of sin, their sin, their lack of righteousness and a judgment to come. And so Jesus said it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring people to a point where they go, I'm a sinner and I need a saviour. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. It's not someone just getting clever. And so when we get to that point, it's actually God who's brought us to that point, And then we call upon his name for salvation and I think that's that even that's God working in us as well as it says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 it says it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure so who gets the glory in that equation God gets the glory in that equation where does free will come into it this is the mystery of it he never violates anyone's free will he never does But he opens blind eyes and he turns dead hearts into hearts that become responsive and receptive to him. It's one of the great pieces, and I mean P-E-A-C-E, that I have as a pastor and a preacher. All I have to do is deliver God's word and the Holy Spirit will do the rest in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So if you're here today and you're thinking, does that mean I have no chance of ever becoming Christian because I may not be elected by God? If you're thinking that, chances are you're already elected by God. You already, have, you already have the Holy Spirit working in you. And who can turn to Christ? That's not our job. Our job is to try to present the gospel to as many as we can so that as many as possible will turn to Christ before it's too late
0: that's all we have time for tonight for a cd copy or premium download of tonight's full discussion please go to our website findingtruthmatters.org and select q a from our online store as we've heard tonight people are wrestling with some simple and some not so simple questions we hope that you've received some clarity in your own thinking as dr corbett offered biblical truth to life's quandaries more from dr corbett next week